0: Reflux and benign tumors of the esophagus is the third lecture. Preview question. Which of the following statements regarding benign esophageal tumors is true? Liomas are more common in women. Resection may be required for large liomas at the GE junction. Fibrolipomas can be resected transorally and split notochord syndrome consists of vertebral body abnormalities and an esophageal cyst. Anybody ever seen a fibrolipoma? I don't think I have. Heidel hernia and reflux. Phrenoesophageal membrane is arguably the most important layer. It helps anchor the esophagus within the hiatus. Um, it's a, an extension of the fascia underside of the diaphragm. Uh, the insertion of this membrane in the mucosa marks the point at which the esophagus becomes intraabdominal. Useful de- definitions of the GEJ is it's essentially the point where esophageal function stops and then the junction of the narrow diameter esophagus with the large gastric pouch, a.k.a. the stomach. They both end up at the same place. When the stomach is distended, the esophagus often um, shortens or is effaced by the radial forces pulling on it. Almost all of us have a little type one sliding type hiatal hernia because of this. Remember, there's no defect in the fascia, so there's often or there shouldn't be a sac in a type 1 hernia. And intraabdominal length is a big factor in reflux and anti-reflux surgery. So if you lose that intraabdominal length, that's where you see reflux. Type 2 is a little different. Remember these type there's four types, right? This is truly a type 2 parasophageal hernia. It is next to the esophagus peresophageal. Type 3 is basically a 1 and a 2 added together. 3s can be confused for big sliding types, but they have a sac. Okay, 4 is generally any of these plus something else up there. Pancreas, colon, duodenum technically. 2s are probably the highest risk. Um, reflux. Uh, initially, peristalsis is pretty normal, but... As we get older or reflux persists, you lose that contraction in the body and you end up with ineffective esophageal motility. That's an extraordinarily common manometric finding in reflux. But the hallmark for reflux is a weak LES and a lot of what we do to help fix reflux is intra-abdominal length and then augmenting the LES. It compounds itself Reflux begets reflux. Interestingly, as your body gets used to it, it stops sending the signal. It's kind of like almost all the esophageal cancer patients don't have reflux. They say they outgrew it or it stopped years ago. Reflux and aspiration are great reasons to end up with empyemas. People will have prominent um, extra esophageal manifestations of this regurgitation, cough, morning hoarseness suggesting reflux overnight. Scleroderma is the bane of the esophageal surgeon's life. Sorting through this and dealing with these patients is challenging. Almost 90% of folks with scleroderma will end up with pathologic reflux because of the tightening of the esophagus and that radial foreshortening they're talking about. It leads to an incompetent LES, and it is difficult to deal with idiopathic or garden variety, reflux is commonly associated with the type 1 hernia. There are all sorts of things that impact gastric emptying, pyloric stenosis, something blocking the pylorus, and poor muscle tone will lead to reflux. Essentially for um, reflux to happen, two things have to be present. You have to have secretions that make it into the esophagus or back up into the esophagus. And then your primary peristalsis can't bring it back down. All right. It's 2022, so primary treatment is PPIs. Some people are intolerant of these. Some people don't want to take them. H2 blockers are only about 70% effective. So surgical treatment for those that don't want to take medicine or are refractory to medicine. As you evaluate these folks, I would argue about getting an esophagram to make sure you understand the anatomy, and then they need an endoscopy. Manometry prior to an anti reflux operation is very important for a lot of patients. Large parasophageal hernias, I would argue, you would probably not do this because they can't put the catheter in the right place with any reliability. And I would argue that they probably shouldn't get Nissens anyway, but that is debatable. If you want to get something paid for though, you need pH testing. Okay. Remember your Demeester scores and how to calculate them. It's a composition of reflux episodes, total time, and then the percentage of upright and supine acid exposure. Anything less than 14.7 is generally considered normal. That is the break point after adding all these things together. And remember, you're supposed to be off PPIs or other acid suppressive therapy. And you will have non-acid reflux. Um, So impedance testing is often important as well. And depending on your manometry, a lot of places are now doing manometry and impedance in the same test. Reasons for surgery, failed medical therapy, esophagitis, bleeding... Barrett's, remember there is some thought that short-segment Barrett's will regress with anti-reflux surgeries. Patient preference. Barrett's, it doesn't mean if you fix their reflux, it doesn't mean they don't need to be surveilled. And again, it's generally better with short-segment or less than 2-centimeter Barrett's. Since we don't understand Barrett's and the exact risk for Esophageal cancer, we don't know whether or not that reduces their risk. Reflux, obesity, all those things are risk factors for esophageal cancer. A Belzy Mark IV is basically the anti-reflux operation you need to think about from the chest. This is essentially a salvage operation for most folks. Most people would actually do this laparoscopically or robotically. It actually is awesome exposure, but patients tolerate it poorly. You know, nobody wants a thoracotomy if they can avoid it. But if you don't want to be in that belly, it's a good option. Again, your goals are intra abdominal length. I personally liberally lengthen people. You do trade dysphagia and reflux control, so as you're Trying to maximize these goals with patients, it's important to understand what their primary symptom is and what their goals are. Esophageal motility guides wrap choice. Generally, no one will do a a complete wrap unless you have absolutely normal motility. And sorting through that and trying to set them up for gas bloat and their inability to retch, vomit um, or burp is important about maintaining realistic expectations. Very rarely will you resect the esophagus perhaps maybe on a third or fourth time redo. Standard operations are these Nissin's toupees through the belly. Lengthening through the belly is generally called wedge gastroplasties. Through the chest is called a collis. Hills or a modified hill repair is great after a gastric sleeve. Loose and floppy. Everybody knows this. This has been beat into your head. Again, set people up with realistic expectations. A lot of times with a complete fund application, people can't belch or throw up. They avoid carbonated things because gas bloat's pretty common. Dysphagia is extraordinarily common. It will get better with time. But over time, remember people in their esophagus age. And it's not uncommon to have pseudoachalasia. 20 years or so after a Nissen. When people can throw up belch or burp or throw up after a Nissen, if they couldn't do it beforehand, it's usually your first indicator that they've failed. Right? It's probably actually more common than reflux. And remember that when stomach is trapped above the chest, they can certainly have Cameron's ulcerations and lead to complications. I'm pretty sure everybody knows how to do a Nissen. Belzey Mark IV. Remember, it's the fourth iteration of his his operation. Maximal mobilization. You can get all the way up to the arch quite easily. Helps maintain length and creates a narrow diameter of the tube. It is not necessarily a wrap as much as it's an imbrication, and you imbricate both the stomach and the diaphragm. And it's usually a set of uh, two rows of stitches, generally three each. And it helps lower this and reconstruct that cruel integrity as well as the flap valve. Uh, Hill fundiplications, those phrenoesophageal collars and membranes are important. Helps restore that angle and the flap valve. Anchors the GEJ posteriorly to the normal primary attachment to the fascia around the aorta. Doesn't rely on the esophagus. That's part of the reason why a lot of wraps slip is because the esophagus is a crappy organ. And hill repairs do require the notion of intraoperative manometry to help understand the competence of the reflux barrier. We've recently acquired an endoflip machine. I'm going to see if we can figure out how that plays into it as well. There is pretty good short-term effectiveness. Remember that reflux control at a At a year with a Nissen and a toupee is the same, a.k.a. the same number of people report reflux or take reflux medicines. Again, I'm pretty sure everybody knows how to do a Nissen. Wedge gastroplasty, sometimes folks won't do this. It's relatively straightforward, but there are a couple ways to do it, either involving an EEA or probably most simply just taking a linear stapler. It helps ensure you have adequate intra length and then exaggerate that angle of hiss. Collis is again typically done through the chest. Wedge gastroplasty is the abdominal approach. Complication rates are relatively low. Um, failure rates could be as high as 7%. I generally quote two to five. Um, and that's true I think for the first two um, anti-reflux operations. Uh, There is a risk of an ulceration or a stitch erosion. Failure rates. Remember, most of the time these guys fail posteriorly. Cameron's ulcers. That's a classic one. Rarely do you see them, but we know they exist. A lot of these folks will be anemic for unclear reasons and get an extensive workup. The mechanism is probably acid hypersecretion with pressure on the gastric wall. If it's an incarcerated paraesophageal hernia, decompress them before you operate on them. A lot of times you can do that preoperatively. I actually did this with a redo. One of the general surgeons had done one and the fundus was about two times the size it should have been posteriorly and she slipped and trapped up there. They also called the stomach a paraesophageal fluid collection that they were trying to perk drain. So fortunately, um, we put an NG tube in it and proved it didn't need a pigtail. This actually does make people feel better, it really does, because most of their pain is uh, trouble related to distension. Magnetic sphincter augmentation likely has a role. It has expanded indications, actually seems to work reasonably well. It's been around for a while. There aren't a lot of insurance companies that will pay for it. So know about it i'm not sure they'll talk about it esophageal tumors benign tumors are relatively rare in terms of the esophageal tumors it's cancer until proven otherwise about two-thirds of benign esophageal tumors are lyomyomas slightly more frequent in men they often don't cause symptoms if they're less than five centimeters a lot of times if you pick them up on an esophagram they're Relatively round indents in places you would not expect an indent in the esophagus. They will show up on endoscopy as well and be prominent mucosal folds. And kind of the key to them is remember they are not a mucosal lesion. Most of them are in the circular muscle layer, all right, so between the mucosa and the outer muscle. They often do protrude in, but sometimes protrude out. Generally, we operate on them when they're symptomatic, and that's generally how you find them, right? And you can enucleate them, and then occasionally you end up doing esophagectomies um, at the GE junction, uh, depending how big they are. All right. uh, again, a thoracotomy view of a leiomyoma, and they are enucleating that. So here's our fingerling potato stuck in the wall, and then it's been resected. All right, cysts uh, are probably the second most common esophageal ne- neoplasm. They can be near the carina. We generally remove them. We generally nucleate them. They can be in the wall. That is an extraordinarily disappointing finding um, when you realize you violated the mucosa. Fibrolipomas, again, like the pre-op question, you can often remove them endoscopically. Uh, duplication cysts are relatively uncommon, but we do see them. They do have a true lining and they're often fluid fill. They may intermingle. Again, like I said, it kinda it's not uncommon to end up realizing you've resected this and done a long segment myotomy. Split notochord associated with vertebral abnormalities and a cyst. And you generally can separate them off the back of mucosa. All right, follow-up question. Which of the following statements regarding esophageal hiatal hernia are true? The lowest point of the muscular esophagus is proximal to the mucosal junction with the stomach. Type 1 hernias have a sac. Type 2 hernias are associated with a defect in the membrane. And the most common complication after a nissen is a slipped nissen. See how you guys did. Yeah. All right.